I want to start this morning and remind you that God loves you and delights in you. I don't know um, about you, but I need to hear that and hear that often. I wanted to remind you that this morning because I want to speak to you about justice. And I want to begin with a confession. I've been a pastor for almost 25 years, and I have never done one sermon, one message on justice. I've preached about the kingdom of God. I've talked about the doctrine of the church, uh, on why we need to love our city and how to serve it. I've preached on the poor, but I've not had one message on justice. And if I've searched my own heart over that fact, I think the reason is because though I know justice is all over the Bible, I know that if I examine it too closely, my life would have to change. I'd have to have some kind of integrity to talk to you about justice. And that's a scary thing. It's scary because change is always painful. It's like going to the gym and you weigh uh, 250 pounds and you say, I'm six foot and I want to weigh 180, but I don't want any pain. That's how most people join the gym. One of the greatest barriers to change is inertia. One of the first steps in moving forward is recognizing you don't want to be where you are. And I know if I look at the call of justice in the face, to quote an old song, a change is a coming. This is a concern I have talking about justice, is that it's one more thing to add to your busy life, or it's one thing to point out that we're not doing well. And the last thing I want to do is add uh, to your already too busy life. But are we busy with the things that God wants us to be busy with? Micah 6.8 is one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. He has told you, old man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I can't tell you how many people have asked me that question. What does God want from me? What does God require of me? It's not as if God has been unclear. He has told us what He wants from us and what is important to Him. There are over 2,000 verses in the Bible about justice. The Bible speaks more about justice than it does about heaven and prayer and marriage combined. By these numbers alone, it's obvious that justice is on the heart of God. Today we are looking at chapter 1, verse 17 of Isaiah, the old prophet of the Old Testament. Let me just read that verse. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. By itself, that verse can seem 
rather plain. But if you read it in its context, it's one of the scariest verses in the entire Bible. Because it speaks to the American church. The context of Isaiah 1, 17 is this. Isaiah is charging that while people, God's people, were attending worship services like this one, while they were doing their religious duties, while they were reading their Bibles, while they were praying, while they were giving, yet they were ignoring the cause of justice. You see, they were very religious, but they were ignoring justice in their midst. So let's read that verse in its context. This is verses 11 through 16 of chapter 1 of Isaiah. Hear the word of the Lord. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of burying them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. And then comes verse 17. Now learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. What he is saying is that God's people gather for worship and do not have a concern for justice. They are missing the heart of worship because they are missing the heart of God. Isaiah is not alone in saying this. All of the prophets said this. And not just all of the prophets. Jesus says this very thing. Luke eleven forty two says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe the mint, the rue, and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Matthew 25, whatever you did for one of these, my brothers, you did for me. Jesus is saying that the poor man or the poor woman right in front of you, when you do for them, it is as if you are doing it for me. And your injustice and the lack of doing something for them is like you not doing it for me. Nothing, my friends, reveals our hearts toward Him whom we have not seen than how we treat those for whom we do see. I'm not trying to make us feel guilty by quoting Jesus, but I am trying to wake us up. That is what really matters to God. Justice is at the center of the heart of God. 
And it is the heart of Christmas. So let's look at justice under three questions. What is justice? Why should we even care about justice? And then third, how can we begin to seek justice? So the first question before us is, what is it? Because justice is one of those very familiar, very popular, very important uh, concepts like freedom, we tend to associate that we know what it means. But when you begin to ask somebody to define it, it becomes vague and confusing and relativistic in the eyes of the beholder who defines it. So let me give you Mark Sandahl. He is a professor at Harvard University. For years, the most popular undergraduate course at Harvard University was Dr. Sandahl's. This course became a New York Times bestseller book called Justice. Sandahl points out that one of the main reasons we have so much conflict in the world today is that we have different conceptions of justice. We don't realize this is why we speak and talk past each other. He puts it this way, justice is always judgmental. And no one likes to be called judgmental. We don't want to admit that we are judging. But Sandal says there's impossible to enter the public square without assumptions. He is saying that there's no such thing as a faith-free public square. We all have assumptions about justice, and therefore you and I need to agree that a justice for all, but what is justice and to whom is it for? And we Christians, the source of our definition of justice is Jesus himself. Jesus stands at the center of the story of the Bible and the context of that story to be worked out is in the church, his people. So Jesus is the one who defines what justice is. So what is justice? I like the way Bethany Hong, in her book, The Justice Calling, defines it. She says it's the most, in its most basic biblical formation, justice can be described as setting things right. Justice begins with the sense that something is wrong, that something's not right. This is not the way things are supposed to be. This is wrong. And we learn what is right by looking at the story of the Bible. This is why justice in the Bible is so frequently paired with the word righteousness. They actually come from the same root word. You often find those two words together in the Bible because they go together like salt and pepper or sick and tired or peanut butter and jelly. They just go together. For example, Psalm 33, 5 says, The Lord loves righteousness and justice. Why do those go together? Because righteousness is not an abstract moral standard. Righteousness has to do with relationships. Up, in, and out. It has to do with our relationship with God, which is up. It has to do with our relationship with ourselves, that's in. It has to do with our relationship with others, and that's out. And since we have been set right in our relationship with God, it now has implications for the way in which we relate to one another. That is righteousness. Are we being faithful to God in how we interact with one another? 
So to draw these threads together, justice is giving people as image bearers of God what they are due, whether that's protection or punishment or care. It is to give people what they are due. Now, that still might be a little vague and abstract. So let me give you Gary Hogan's. He's the International Justice Mission's understanding of justice. He said, justice is about the right use of power. Since God is a God of justice, God cares about how power is used. Justice is when power is used in conformity with God's purposes in the world. When power is not used in that way, that is injustice. And injustice is what happens when someone uses their power to take from someone else the good things that God intends for them to have. Their life and liberty, dignity, and the fruit of their love and their labor. And that is what justice is. But why should we care about justice? This is the second question. Whenever you see justice, often in the Bible, you often see it paired with certain classes of people, widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. The word justice is often enjoined with these classes of people, what is often called the quartet of the vulnerable, because they are the ones who are most affected by injustice in the world. Zechariah 7.9 says, This is what the Lord Almighty said, Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion, Do not oppress the widows or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Why is justice so coupled with the quartet of the vulnerable? If justice is treating people as equitably as they are due, in accord with God's vision for righteousness and setting things right, it is evident these are the classes of people who tend to be most abused by injustice. They are the most most vulnerable. They have less resources. And it is often the best way for us to see justice. God is passionately concerned for the victims of injustice in the world. Psalm 82.3 says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor. Isaiah 61.8 says, For the Lord loves justice and hates robbery and wrong. Jeremiah 22.16 says, He defended the cause of the poor and the needy so that all went well. Is this not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Is this not what it means to know God, to defend the cause of the poor and the needy? God cares about injustice. He hates it. And He wants it to stop. Psalm 10 says, You, Lord, hear the desires of the afflicted. You encourage them and listen to their cry. He defends the fatherless and the oppressed. I hear that line and I think about the hundreds and thousands of people who live in our city and our county who cry out, who are fatherless, who are widows, who are immigrants, and who are poor. You and I, as Christians, are called to defend them. That is the main reason we must care about justice and righting injustice because injustice matters to God. What does God want us to boast in in life? 
To boast in something is to lift something up before the world and say, this is who I am. This is how I want you to know me, to identify me. Listen to what the Lord says when he wants his people to boast. Jeremiah 9, 23 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his wealth. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Do you know what your Lord wants you to boast in? That you know him. That you understand him. Verse 24 of that same chapter of Jeremiah 9. I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The implication is that if we know this God, then in these things we too delight in them. If he is our God and we know our God and understand our God, what he delights in, we should delight in. Tim Keller, in one of his messages, points out how striking it is that God often introduces himself as the defender of these vulnerable groups. When someone, he's, this is quoting Tim Keller, when someone asks you how you want to be introduced, how you answer that question is enormously telling about you. It is what you are leading with to tell the audience who you are. God wants us to know the way he wants to be introduced in Psalm 68. God is a father of the fatherless and a defender of the widow. This is how God wants to be known. Not only does God take up the cause of the weak, he identifies with the weak. He names himself weak. Christmas is about God made low. Where he does not merely take up the cause of injustice, he identifies with injustice by being treated unjustly. By becoming himself one who is oppressed. I hope this encourages you as it does me especially those of you who fall into one of these most vulnerable groups. Those of you who have been treated unjustly, those of you who feel weak. You, my friend, are as close to the heart of God as possible. Not because you've approached Him, but because He has approached you. If you have read the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, You have noticed that all of these verses about caring for the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant, and the poor are all over the place. They come up over and over again. Have you ever noticed and wondered why? God is so concerned. I'm particularly speaking to those of you who are skeptical about Christians and Christianity, the church, and about the claims of Christ. Maybe you agree with Christopher Hitchings. He's the one who made famous, religion poisons everything. Why does God care so much about justice? Because he wanted and he still wants his people to model a new society that reflects to the watching world a whole new way of living. A whole way new of being a human being, to reflect God's beauty, to reflect God's goodness, to reflect God's love and truth. 
so that the surrounding people might see how God's people treat the most vulnerable among us and be drawn in. There is nothing more attractive to the world and to our God than to see God's people treat the most vulnerable justly. For the peoples of the earth to say, I want to know your God. And God's eyes that still the measure of a true health of a society, how it treats the most vulnerable. Take the question of refugees, which is hot topic today. But did you know it was a hot topic in the ancient world as well, including Israel? They had non-natives living among them. How did God want his people to treat the foreigner? Deuteronomy 10, 17 tells us, For the Lord your God defends the cause of the fatherless and widows, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving food to them and clothing them. Verse 19 of that same chapter says, You, God's people, are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourself were foreigners in Egypt. Do you hear the logic here? Because you have experienced grace... God is telling you, God's people, telling me, God's people, you know what it feels like to be a foreigner. You know what it feels like to need deliverance. You know what it feels like to need a Savior. You know what it feels like to be delivered. And because you know what it feels like, you're able to be gracious to others. That same welcome that God has given you, you can give the stranger and the refugee who lives among you. You can tell them about God's love because you know God's love. The Bible is saying that those who have had a real experience of the grace of God, those who have experienced God's deliverance, have the heart of justice because our God has the heart of justice. I've given you a lot of scriptures here, all to make a very simple point. We must care about justice because God cares about justice. I read to you just a smattering of 2,000 verses that the Bible has concerning justice to ask this simple question. What kind of God do we believe in? Is God exclusively concerned with individual salvation? Or does he also care about the social fabric in which we live? Carl Henry was a famous a writer who famously once said, God is a God of justice and of justification. Isaiah 20, verse 13 says, The Lord is a God of justice. If that's what God's heart is, that's what Jesus displayed. His very first sermon recorded for us in Luke 4 is about Isaiah 42, where he calls himself the servant of the Lord who comes to bring justice to the world. Here he says, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and for the recovery of the sight of the blind to set the oppressed free. Many people know Jesus came to bring forgiveness to the world, to the human race. But we need to be reminded that Jesus also came to bring justice to our world. Jesus not only calls us to worship him, he wants us to seek justice in his name. 
So we have seen what justice is, and we now know why we should care about justice. But I have one more question on this Christmas Eve. How can we seek justice? This is an overwhelming question when you begin to look at it in all of the needs of our world. Where do we begin? I want to be as clear and practical in our remaining moments. I want us to help us know where we can start. Our concern for justice must begin with us being awake and attentive. William Stafford is a poet and he wrote a ritual to read to one another. This is his poetical idea about keeping awake. He says, I call it cruel and maybe the root to all cruelty to know what occurs and not recognize the fact. For it is important that awake people be awake. It is important that those of us who have been awakened by God to be awake to injustice. He is saying something can be true, but you and I don't recognize it. It's not real to us. So though we know injustice is out there, we may not be awake. Did you know that there are more slaves today in the world than the 400 years of the transatlantic slave trade combined? There are almost 36 million slaves in the world owned by someone And they're still using lies and violence to take advantage of the most vulnerable people in our world. Did you know that the average estimated profits from the human trafficking industry today exceeds that of Microsoft, Apple, BP, Exxon, and Samsung combined? A million people are a statistic. But personally knowing one single person who has been victimized is a tragedy. So you and I might know that injustice is true. We have to know them, not just know about them. Bethany Hanley said her life really changed one day when she was passing by in her university and there was a table out on display. And those of you who have been to college know what this is like out on there. They're looking for recruits and she saw this table and it had this sign on it. Slavery is alive. It must be stopped. She said, I couldn't get over that message, and so I stopped. Because a million is a statistic until you meet one. Her life was changed because she stopped and she met one. It is important that awakened people of God be awake. It is important that we pause and point out that most of us are not awake to injustice. In order to seek justice, we must begin with our own awakening to injustice. For it is important for awakened people of God to be awake. Could not this be one of the devil's greatest schemes in America on Christmas Eve? To make us believe that the conditions of this world just the way it is. To accept the status quo. To be blind to our own responsibility to seek justice and to fight injustice. I call it cruel. Maybe it's the root of all cruelty to know what occurs, but to not recognize the fact. Sometimes 
You have to get out of our culture. You have to have somebody outside our culture to speak into our culture. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great Russian writer, said, the main sickness in the West is apathy. He has this famous quote, the world aches and the West yawns. We see the carnage on our phones and we swipe to the next story. We are not only numbed to our affluence, but we are self-centered. People will say, I have my own troubles. How can I take the weight of the world also? Our perspective is so easily so small. We're not only self-centered, we're entitled. Maybe we feel entitled because we often benefit from the way that things are. We may not be concerned. We have used the way of the world to our advantage because it works for us. We're self-centered and we're entitled, but we're also distracted. If you want to know what that phone in your pocket is, how it's affecting you, one way it's affecting you is it's distracting you. It's distracting me. It is making our world so small by drawing our attention to focus right here that we can't lift our heads up and see. We're always seeing, but we're never perceiving. So let me ask you, am I being too hard on us? Maybe. But we have to start here because this is my concern, that even in talking about justice, that we are so numbed, so saturated, so self-centered, so distracted, so entitled, that we're not even awake to the injustice in our world. I'm not trying to guilt us. That would be wrong. I'm trying to shake us awake. For it is important for the awakened people of God to be awake. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Sleepers, awake. He's crying out to God's people. Awaken from your slumber. Especially Christians in the United States. Where the deadly enemy of among us in the church today is that our gospel is too small. The problem isn't that our gospel is too big. Our problem is it's too small. Our gospel removes any hope of imaginative work in the area of justice. Sometimes we pit the call of justice against evangelism, and I think that's a mistake. There's a suspicion out there that if you ever talk about justice in the church, that somehow we're missing the gospel that this suspicion was true in the 20th century when many people took the social social gospel movement and confused the mission of the church and took the cross of Christ out of the center of the work of the church. But friends, it's precisely because the cross of Christ is at the center of the universe that it has ripple effects intended for the church that touches every area of creation that Jesus is Lord. This is the most robust gospel message Jesus is Lord over every square inch of this planet and that his kingdom is coming. And the church is on the edge of that coming. Didn't Jesus care about physical needs as well as bringing healing to their souls? Of course, caring for the soul is primary. But giving priority to one thing does not mean we're free to ignore and neglect the other. John Perkins dedicated his life to showing the connection between evangelism and justice. 
as a young man in California, he had an encounter with the gospel of grace. And it so affected him and he moved from California back to his home state of Mississippi and to the very community that was segregated that he had left many years before. And this is where I met him when I was 21 years old. He often would say something like this. There is no competition between evangelism and social responsibility. If I spent all my time teaching my children the Bible, but I did not clothe them or feed them, I would be an irresponsible parent. In the same way, our love for the other is questionable if either spiritual or social concern is lacking. Jesus never put evangelism and social action at odds with one another. And so neither should we. Perkins is saying, if you try to tear evangelism from justice, it's like trying to tear Jesus in two. It can't be done. John Stott, who was the greatest spokesman for the Protestant church in the 20th century, in my opinion. He wrote a book called The Cross of Christ. And this is what he says in his book. The cross is the revelation of God's justice as well as his love. And that is why the community of the cross should concern itself with justice. It is never enough to have pity on the victims of injustice. If we do nothing to change the unjust situation itself, Christians cannot regard with indifference injustice that spoils God's world. Injustice must bring pain to God whose justice flames brightest at the cross. Therefore, it must also bring pain to God's people. He concludes this section and he says, The community of the cross, which has truly been absorbed by the message of the cross, will always be motivated into action by the demands of justice. Never again let anyone compel or confuse you into thinking that these two, evangelism and justice, can be separated. Justice is on the heart of God, and therefore it is to be on our heart as well. In closing, on this Christmas Eve, allow me to give you four quick ways to to stay awake. Over this Christmas season, take the time to consider these four ways for yourself and for our church. First, we need to be aware of our tendency to slip into unawareness. Though we could fool each other, we should consider it important for awakened people to stay awake. So how can this happen? You and I need a big sign in our homes, in our offices, if it's allowed, in our cars, if you can stand it. Break my heart for what breaks God's heart. This is like the ultimate post-it note. It is to be big, to keep it in front of us. Keep signpost in front of us. Because it is important for the awakened people of God to stay awake. Secondly, hear God's word. His whole word, not just your favorite parts. If you're looking for a place to start, read the book of Amos in the Old Testament or read the book of Luke in the New Testament. Once your eyes are open to God's heart of injustice, you will think it's on every page. Do you know why? Because it is almost on every page. Because injustice is on the heart of God. First, you make signposts. Second, you hear God's word. Third, you see God's world. Open our eyes. To see God's word is so easy to be myopic. 
We're almost like the horses on a, on a track. They wear the blinders so they can't see anything around them, only what is in front of us. That's the way we tend to operate in the church. And so we can't see the world the way God sees it. One of the most important verses in the entire Bible is in Hebrews 13, verse 3. Remember those in prison as though you, you yourself were in prison with them. And those ill-treated as those you too felt their torment. This is an amazing verse. Remember those in pain as though you felt their pain in your own body. How can you hear the Bible's call to see yourself in the shoes of those who are suffering? It is through empathy. The only way for you to feel how they're doing is if you're empathetic toward them. And that requires imagination. One way to feed your imagination is to watch films, to read books with justice-related themes. These books and films put a face to the millions who seem merely a statistic to us in America. Read Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson about the plight of those who live in American prisons. Do you realize that more than two million Americans live in prison? That's more than any other nation in the world. And quite frankly, more than many, many nations combined. Read Behind the Beautiful Forevers by Catherine Boo. She describes the present-day slums in Mumbai, India. Boo follows around some of the residents and what they have to deal with on a daily basis. We meet Abdul. He's a second-generation garbage picker who all day, every day, sifts through the garbage to make ends meet. We also meet Fatima, an emotionally troubled young woman with one leg who dreams of a different life than begging on the streets. It reads like a novel until you recognize, oh my goodness, this is nonfiction. These are real people. It is important for God's awakened people to be awake to the injustice of our world and to keep signposts in front of us by reading the whole counsel of God and seeing the world as God sees it. And fourth, and this is the most important thing we can do, is to keep our hearts close to the gospel. There is a direct line between your experience of grace and your heart for justice. If I grow cold, if I am indifferent, if I need fire in my heart, the medicine you need to give me is the gospel. The medicine you will need is the gospel. God does not just talk about the poor, but in Jesus Christ, he became poor. Jesus was born in a feed trough. He became a refugee. And at the end of his life, he rode on a borrowed donkey. He spent the last evening in this world in a borrowed room. And when he died, he was laid in a borrowed tomb. He died naked and penniless. He was wrongfully tried and wrongfully imprisoned. And on the cross, he experienced the pain of injustice. Jesus deserved acquittal. If anyone on earth ever deserved acquittal, it was Jesus. And instead, he got condemnation. Why? So that we who deserved condemnation would be acquitted. And that warns our hearts. Jesus not only became poor and oppressed, but on the cross he stood in the place of all those who were spiritually poor and bankrupt. Jesus has called us to join him in this work to bring justice to his world. And therefore, friends, the battle belongs to the Lord. It is not our battle. Remember that so you don't get burned out. 
But the battle is worth fighting. Remember that so you don't give up. Jesus invites us to join him. He promises that if we will persevere in hope, that we will one day see the glory of the Lord over every square inch of this cosmos until all things are made new. And so, friends, as we go out today, remember, God's awakened people must stay awake to injustice because justice is at the center of the God's heart. And therefore, it's to be the center of our heart, too. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our opportunity to think just these few moments of how comprehensive you are about justice and the injustice in this world where things are wrong. It's not the way it should be. Parents are burying children and children are burying parents and neither one of those are right. People are going to the hospital and the doctor is giving them the news that they have terminal cancer and that's not right. Marriages that you have put together are dissolving and that's not right. People haven't spoken to each other in years and that's not right. The world, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poor and that's not right. There are parts of this world who do not have fresh and clean water to even drink. And that's not right. Father, the list is so long when we look out. Lift our eyes, awaken our souls that we might see. That we might have on our hearts what breaks your heart. That we might enter in because you entered in our brokenness. And though we cannot relieve all suffering... You will. And may we copy you until the day you come and make all things new. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.